Section 46 of G. K. Chesterton's Newspaper Columns, The New Witness, 1922. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. G. K. Chesterton's Newspaper Columns, The New Witness. 1922 by G. K. Chesterton Section 46 Shakespeare and the Legal Lady by G. K. Chesterton There was one phrase perpetually repeated and now practically stereotyped, which to my mind concentrates and sums up all the very worst qualities in the very worst journalism, all its paralysis of thought, all its monotony of chatter, all its sham culture and shoddy picturesqueness, all its perpetual readiness to cover any vulgarity of the present with any sentimentalism about the past. There is one phrase that does measure to how low an ebb the mind of my unfortunate profession has sunk. It is the habit of perpetually calling any of the new lady barristers Portia. First of all, of course, it is quite clear that the journalist does not know who Portia was. If he has ever heard of the story of the Merchant of Venice, he has managed to miss the only point of the story. Suppose a man had been so instructed in the story of As You Like It that he remained under the impression that Rosalind really was a boy and was the brother of Celia. We should say that the plot of the comedy had reached his mind in a rather confused form. Suppose a man had seen a whole performance of the play of Twelfth Night without discovering the fact that the page called Cesario was really a girl called Viola. We should say that he had succeeded in seeing the play without exactly seeing the point. But there is exactly the same blind stupidity in calling a barrister Portia, or even in calling Portia a barrister. It misses in exactly the same sense the whole meaning of the scene. Portia is no more a barrister than Rosalind is a boy. The whole point of her position she is no more the learned jurist whom Shylock congratulates than Viola is the adventurous page whom Olivia loves. The whole point of her position is that she is a heroic and magnanimous fraud. She has not taken up the legal profession, or any profession. She has not sought that public duty, or any public duty. Her action, from first to last, is wholly and entirely private. Her motives are not professional, but private. Her ideal is not public, but private. She acts as much on personal grounds in the trial science as she does in the casket scene. She acts in order to save a friend, and especially a friend of the husband whom she loves. Anything less like the attitude of an advocate, for good or evil, could not be conceived. She seeks individually to save an individual, and in order to do so is ready to break all the existing laws of the profession and the public tribunal, to assume lawlessly powers she has not got, to intrude where she would never be legally admitted, to pretend to be somebody else, to dress up as a man, to do what is actually a crime against the law. This is not what is now called the attitude of a public woman. It is certainly not the attitude of a lady lawyer, any more than of any other kind of lawyer, but it is emphatically the attitude of a private woman that much more ancient and much more powerful thing. 
Suppose that Portia had really become an advocate, merely by advocating the cause of Antonio against Shylock. The first thing that follows is that, as like as not, she would be briefed in the next case to advocate the cause of Shylock against Antonio. She would, in the ordinary way of business, have to help Shylock to punish with ruin the private extravagances of Gratiano. She would, in the ordinary way of business, have to help Shylock to punish with ruin the private extravagances of Gratiano. She would have to assist Shylock to distrain on poor Lancelot Gobo and sell up all his miserable sticks. She might well be employed by him to ruin the happiness of Lorenzo and Jessica by urging some obsolete parental power or some technical flaw in the marriage service. Shylock evidently had a great admiration for her forensic talents, and indeed that sort of lucid and detached admission of the talents of a successful opponent is a very Jewish characteristic. There seems no reason why he should not have employed her regularly whenever he wanted someone to recover ruthless interest, to ruin needy households, to drive towards theft or suicide, the souls of desperate men. There seems every reason to doubt whether the Portia whom Shakespeare describes for us is likely to have taken on the job. Anyhow, that is the job, and I am not here arguing that it is not a necessary job, or that it is always an indefensible job. Many honorable men have made an arguable case for the advocate who has to support Shylock, and men much worse than Shylock, but that is the job, and to cover up its ugly realities with a loose literary quotation that really refers to the exact opposite is one of those crawling and cowardly evasions and verbal fictions which make all this sort of servile journalism so useless for every worthy or working purpose. If we wish to consider whether a lady should be a barrister, we should consider sanely and clearly what a barrister is and what a lady is, and then come to our own conclusion according to what we considered worthy or worthless in the traditions of the two things. But the spirit of advertisement, which tries to associate soap with sunlight or grape nuts with grapes, calls to its rescue an old romance of Venice, and tries to cover up a practical problem in the robes of a romantic heroine of the stage. There is a sort of confusion that really leads to corruption. In one sense, it would matter very little that the legal profession was formally open to women, for it is only a very exceptional sort of woman who would see herself as a vision of beauty and the character of Mr. Sergeant Buzzfuzz. And most girls are more likely to be stage-struck and want to be the real Portia on the stage, rather than law-struck and want to be the very reverse of Portia in a law court. For that matter, you would make relatively little difference if formal permission were given to a woman to be a hangman or a torturer. Very few women would have a taste for it, and very few men would have a taste for the women who had a taste for it. But advertisement, by its use of the vulgar picturesque, can hide the realities of this professional problem, as it can hide the realities of tinned meat and patent medicines. It can conceal the fact that the hangman exists to hang, and the torturer exists to torture. Similarly, it can conceal the fact that the buzzfuzz barrister exists to bully. It can hide from the innocent female aspirants, outside even the perils and potential abuses that would be admitted by the honest male advocate inside. And that is part of a very much larger problem, which extends beyond this particular profession to a great many other professions, and not least to the lowest 
and most lucrative of all modern professions, that of professional politics. I wonder how many people are still duped by the story of the extension of the franchise. I wonder how many radicals have been a little mystified in remarking how many Tories and reactionaries have helped in the extension of the franchise. The truth is that calling in crowds of new voters will very often be to the interest, not only of Tories, but of really tyrannical Tories. It will often be in the interest of the guilty to appeal to the innocent, if they are innocent in the matter of other people's conduct as well as of their own. The tyrant calls in those he has not wronged to defend him against those he has wronged. He is not afraid of the new and ignorant masses who know too little. He is afraid of the older and nearer nucleus of those who know too much. And there is nothing that would please the professional politician more than to flood the constituencies with innocent Negroes or remote Chinamen who might possibly admire him more because they knew him less. I should not wonder if the party system had been saved three or four times at the point of extinction by the introduction of new voters who had never had time to discover why it deserved to be extinguished. The last of these rescues, by an inrush of dupes, was the enfranchisement of women. What is true of the political is equally true of the professional ambition. Much of the mere imitation of masculine tricks and trades is indeed trivial enough. It is a mere masquerade. The greatest of Roman satirists noted that in his day the more fast of the fashionable ladies liked to fight as gladiators in the amphitheater. In that one statement he pinned and killed, like moths on a cork, a host of the women prophets and women pioneers and large-minded liberators of their sex in modern England and America. But besides these more showy she-gladiators, there are also multitudes of worthy and sincere women who take the new, or rather old, professions seriously. The only disadvantage is that in many of those professions they can only continue to be serious by ceasing to be sincere. But the simplicity with which they first set out is an enormous support to old and complex and corrupt institutions. No modest person setting out to learn an elaborate science can be expected to start with the assumption that it is not worth learning. The young lady will naturally begin to learn law as gravely as she begins to learn Greek. It is not in that mood that she will conceive independent doubts about the ultimate relations of law and justice just as the suffragettes are already complaining that the realism of industrial revolution interferes with their new hobby of voting. So the lady lawyers are quite likely to complain that the realism of legal reformers interferes with their new hobby of legalism. We are suffering in every department from the same cross-purposes that can be seen in the case of any vulgar patent medicine. In law and medicine, we have the thing advertised in the public press, instead of analyzed by the public authority. What we want is not the journalistic Portia, but the theatrical Portia, who is always the real Portia. We do not want the woman who will enter the law court with the solemn sense of a lasting vocation. We want a Portia, a woman who will enter it as lightly and leave it as gladly as she did. End of section 46. Recording by Greg Giordano, Newport Ritchie, Florida.